find your Bibles, find Mark chapter 9, get your notes out, and we're going to spend some time here today. Mark chapter 9 is, is, in all my Bibles, is marked up quite a bit, especially the section we're going to talk at today. The first time this uh, section of scripture, this passage, really spoke to me in the way that I'm going to talk about today was when our daughter Ashley uh, was diagnosed with a tumor on her pituitary gland. I don't call that a brain tumor because it wasn't on her brain, but it was inside a cavity that was in her brain. So you could call it that if you wanted, but it's actually a tumor on the pituitary gland. And they were going to have to do surgery, and they called it intracranial surgery. Those words alone kind of caused a little bit of anxiety in my life. Intracranial surgery. And they explained how it was going to happen, and they explained how easy it was, but it, it still didn't help a whole lot. And I remember going to this passage because, because of one line in this passage. And I'll tell you up front, the line is, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. And I believe that God was in control, and I believe that God could, could bring her through this unscathed, and I believed that he loved us, and he loved her, and he had our best interest in mind. I believed all that, especially in my head. I could, I could spit that out. I could quote that. But transferring that to my heart was a little more difficult. Transferring that to the active living in belief was harder. And I realized that when the doctor finally came out, and said, hey, good news, everything went great. And that's when I had an emotional response, because it was relief. So knowing that God loves, and knowing that God cares, and knowing that God's in control, that's, that's a big part of the picture. But sometimes our, our lack of belief comes in the, will he do it for me, and can I trust him to make a good decision? So, so that was a pretty stressful time in our life, Teresa's and mine and Ashley's and everyone around us. And, and unbeknownst to us, at, at the time we thought, well, that's over. So glad that's over. That is her life trauma. That's the, that's the thing she will always look back on to be the thing that challenged her. And lo and behold, we weren't over. It wasn't done. There were side effects still to come. And the side effect that came was, was an eating disorder. And the brain tumor, compared to the eating disorder, was a piece of cake. Uh, the brain tumor they could do surgery for. The eating disorder required a lot more intense uh, therapy and, and, and a lot, just a lot of stuff, to, to the point where we had to send her off to a place to, to live full-time for, for, for three or four months. I don't remember how long it was, two months. Teresa's shaking her head, so I got that number wrong. But uh, she had to go away, it, it felt like forever, and she came back, and, and we got through that, and I preached a sermon on this passage at that point in time, how am I okay with what's happening, and I was okay because I trusted God, and I knew God had her best interest in mind, and my best interest in mind, and Teresa's best interest in mind, and he had a plan, and he was sovereign, and he could do anything he wanted to do, I believed these things, and I was bolstered by the last time we went through this kind of thing, and how God brought us through, and so it was easier to get that into my heart and then be able to preach it. And some of you heard that sermon. And then we thought that chapter was over and, and wow, God prepared us for this by letting us go through that. And it would have been nice if none of it had happened. But finally this is over. Ashley's drama is over. Ashley's trauma is over. We're, we're good with this. And then 
the third hammer came. And it's still a little emotional. Third hammer came when her boyfriend committed suicide. And all of a sudden, the eating disorder felt like something of the past that we had a handle on, and now this was something that was so out of our range of knowledge. How are we going to get through this? But you know what? God got us through it. And, and this passage spoke to me every time. And then in thinking about this passage again and coming back to this passage and preaching this passage again, it was interesting because we're not in a drama right now. I'm not here to announce the latest Martin drama. Thank goodness. If you know of something coming, don't tell me. I'd rather it be a surprise. But it's not, there's no drama right now. But the passage is still powerful. Because I realized, and this is what I want to talk about, that when the drama is not thick, the, the passage still holds true. I still come to God and I say, I believe. I believe your promise. I believe your, your sovereignty. I believe in, in, that you love me and, and everything happens in your best interest. I, I believe that you're leading. I believe that you have a plan. But even when the, the drama is not in full tilt, the response still follows, help me with my unbelief. Help me overcome my unbelief. Because no matter where you're at, if you've been saved for a week, uh, a year, five years, ten years, forty plus years, no matter how long you've been saved, there's always the next level of growth. There's always the more belief, more faith. No matter where you're at, there's always more. That will never stop. The oldest, dearest believer you've ever known or met if they're following Christ, we'll tell you, I'm not done growing, I'm not done learning, I'm not, I'm not done gaining faith. And so, and so our series is, is going to be leaping from this passage, and we're going to talk about areas where we do believe, but there's still more to go. And we're going to be discussing that, but let's deal with this passage today. So we're going to read Mark chapter 9, we're going to read verse 14 through 28. I'm going to make a lot of comments on the way, then we'll refer to our notes. So, so read along with me and bear with me. It says, when they came to the other disciples, so who are they? Well, if you look back a little bit, this is right after the, the transfiguration. So they are Peter, James, John, and Jesus. So Peter, James, John, and Jesus, they're coming down from one of the glorious events of Jesus' life, the transfiguration. They are Writing the wave of what they just saw. They're discussing it. They're answering questions. Uh, Jesus is conversing with them. But when they got to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. Kind of a change of pace, right? A little bit of a, a bummer for Jesus and these three guys. They're coming down from the transfiguration. They're excited to share what happened. They, they are, you know, they just, they're, they're different and they come down and there's this argument going on. Uh, one group against another group, there's a crowd around, mayhem is taking place. It's not really a fight or anything, but more just a bunch of people that don't like each other arguing. Verse 15, as soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. Now that phrase, overwhelmed with wonder, that's intriguing. Did they see something in Jesus because of the transfiguration that let them know something big had just happened? Or were they overwhelmed with wonder, like, what's he going to do about this? Or was it a combination of both? But they ran to greet him. What are you, 
What are you arguing with them about? He asked. So he asked his disciples, what are you arguing with them about? He asked the disciples, but one of the disciples wasn't the person who answered. A man in the crowd answered, and he answered because they were arguing about him and his situation. So verse 17, a man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Now notice, this is important for the, to, get the, to get the whole encounter. He says, I brought you my son. He did not bring his son to the teachers of the law. He did not bring his son to the Jews. He had probably brought his son to them before, and they were not able to do something. Matter of fact, when he brought his son previously, they probably looked at him and said, get away from us, he's unclean. That was more their attitude than a helpful attitude. So the, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, they, they had either done nothing, maybe even hadn't tried anything, but regardless, they had failed to help him. And this had been going on for years and years and years. So he wasn't going to see them, and frankly, he wasn't looking for the disciples. He wasn't looking for the crew, he was looking for the leader. And when he couldn't find the leader among the crew, the crew probably spoke up and said, hey, we can handle this. Let us cast this demon out. And he said, okay. And then they couldn't. So he was looking for Jesus. No one else could help him. That became obvious. Jesus says, what's going on? He said, I brought my son to you. He says, whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So this demon causes him to have seizures, violent seizures. He said, I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Then verse 19, Jesus responds, you unbelieving generation, looking at the crowd of people, you unbelieving generation, like, like, You people, what's wrong with you people? You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. His response is frustration. Why are you arguing? Why why are you arguing among yourselves? Why didn't somebody in the crowd, or why didn't one of you disciples say to yourself, hey, if we can't do it, let's go get Jesus? They knew where he went. They at least knew what direction he was. They knew where he liked to go up on the mountain. They could have said, hey, you know, apparently uh, yeah, we're not getting this done. Let's go get Jesus. But no, they never thought about that. Instead, they stood and argued with each other, throwing accusations, whatever. And he says, how long will I put up with you? How long is this going to go on? He says, bring the boy to me. The answer is, bring the boy to me. So they brought him. Verse 20. When the spirit saw this, the evil spirit, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. So apparently in front of Jesus, he's having a a, a seizure, he's in convulsions, he's rolling around on the ground. I mean, you can picture this, it's all happening right in front of Jesus. And this is Jesus' response, verse 21. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? Very intriguing to me. Somebody's having a seizure in front of me. My first response is, what do we do? How do we, how do we stop this? How do we keep him safe? Uh, I'm trying to remember all the things I've heard about seizures. What, how do I help this person? But Jesus is like, how long has he been like this? And the father, who apparently had seen this so many times, 
that it wasn't a huge event in his life. He says, from childhood. How long has he been like this? Since childhood. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. In other words, it's tried to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Now, in this man's defense, I think when he says, but if you can do anything, I think we would probably say, his attitude was probably more like, anything you can do would be great. Anything, you're, anything you can do would be helpful. But Jesus heard the words, but if you can do anything, and his response was, if you can? Now he's excited. He wasn't excited before. The, the seizure on the ground did not excite him. The words, if you can, excited him. And he said, if you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. And he throws out this statement, everything is possible to one who believes. Immediately, verse 24, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. He says, I believe. But then he immediately follows with, help me overcome my unbelief. It sounds like he's contradicting himself. Oh, I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. What he's saying is, I believe, but I could believe more. Help me believe more. Help me have more faith. Help me get to where I need to be. Verse 25, when Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. He wasn't interested in the show. When he saw them coming, he says, we're going to get this done. He said, you deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Last part was very important. Never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed, convulsed him violently and came out. So he obeyed, but he did it with some drama. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, he, he left the scene. After he had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And that was a legitimate question. Because Jesus had already sent them out in pairs and, and told them they could drive out demons, and they had driven out demons. So when the man showed up and he says, my son has a demon, what can I, you know, and they say, hey, we can take care of this. They really thought they could, and in the past had, but this time they were not able to, so they, they said, why, why couldn't we drive it out? In verse 29, he replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. And that word kind is a clue. Think of the kinds from Genesis. Let the, let the birds of the air reproduce after their kind. Let the livestock reproduce after their kind. Let the wild beasts reproduce after their kind. The kinds could reproduce. It identified something similar but different and significantly different. And when it says this kind, we're talking about demons. So this kind of demon or it's used incorrectly, but it gets you the idea of this species of demon, or this rank of demon, or this level of power that the demon has. This kind can only come out by prayer. And that doesn't mean that they, they should have sat down and prayed, and then they could cast out the demon, because Jesus didn't pray. We don't have that recorded, and if that was the key, it would have been recorded. What it's saying is, you, this one you need God's help with. You're, you're, not, you're not qualified, you're, you're not powerful enough, you're not trained enough, you're not at a place where you can do this. You need God to step in. So with this one, you needed God's help. In other words, you needed me. 
that's the end of the passage there. And, and that's the story. Let's go to our notes. I want to highlight a few things, probably say some things over again, things I don't want you to miss. Number one, the teachers of the law, or the religious people, okay, or the spiritual people, that would be a word we use today, the teachers of the law was not able to help the man. They were not able to help the man. Not a single one of them was able to help him. He had probably gone to them before, and like I said, they had probably ignored him, told him to go away. So they were not able to help him, which is kind of what we'd expect. If they're false teachers and they're not really serving God, when they call on their false version of God for help, he's probably not going to respond. So that would be expected. But number two, Jesus' disciples were not able to help the man. That would be less expected. Not that much of a surprise, because they did a lot of stuff wrong, and they had a lot of wrong ideas, but they were growing. They were in process. They were not apostles yet. They were just disciples. But they were not able to help the man, even though they had helped others in the past. The key being on their own. They were not able to help the man on their own. They didn't have the authority or the power. So number three, the entire time, this is important, the entire time, the man was seeking Jesus. Not the religious leaders or the disciples. So when, when Jesus says, if you believe, and the man says, I do believe, there's evidence of his belief. The evidence is he was seeking Jesus. He wasn't looking for a back door through the disciples. He wasn't looking for something from the religious leaders. They just happened to be there. He was seeking Jesus. He had determined, Jesus is the only one that can help my son, so I need to find him. When they couldn't find him, the disciples kind of stepped in. So the entire time the man was seeking Jesus, not anyone else. Number four, Jesus called them an unbelieving generation. He called them unbelieving because the answer was right in front of them. The answer was, bring the boy to me. Yet instead of pursuing the answer, instead of taking the boy, instead of saying, hey, Jesus went that way, let's go try to find him, or let me go get Jesus and bring him here, you wait they continued to argue among themselves. Maybe they argued about, hey, which group should be the ones to try again? Hey, well, you, you failed, let us try. No, you failed before, we'll try again. Maybe they were arguing about that. Maybe they were arguing about what the other group did wrong. Well, well, you guys, you guys didn't work for you because you're this or that, or you think this or that, or you don't believe this or that. Well, it didn't work for you because you're just a bunch of fishermen. You're not qualified to do anything. Without your leader, you're nothing. Maybe they were arguing about whose fault it was. Was it one of their fault? Was it the boy's fault? Was it the father's fault? Whatever they were arguing about, they were focusing on their argument, not on the boy, and not on the answer. They missed the answer. Jesus was the answer this time. Number five, as I said, very interesting, Jesus only got excited when the man said, if you can do anything. Now, when the boy, not when he saw the, what the demon was doing to the boy. Jesus got excited at the statement, if you can. And, and, and you know, that's where we kind of get excited. That's, that's where we're going to start to join the story here. I want us to realize, number six, Jesus did not say, if you believe strong enough, it's guaranteed. Sometimes we read verses like that, and we think, oh, all I need to do is believe more, and it'll happen the way I want it to happen. 
It's, it's, it's an incorrect reading, but it's a, it's a common mistake. If you read it carefully, it says everything is possible for one who believes. So he's not guaranteeing anything. He's not saying if you believe enough, or if you believe strongly enough, or if you believe the right things, whatever you pray for will happen. He's not saying that in any way, shape, or form. Sometimes we think that, though. Nor did Jesus say that if you believe strongly enough, it's more probable. Not only is it not guaranteed, it's not even more probable. He didn't say that, that, you know, you believe strong enough, I'm more likely to grant you what you're asking for. He doesn't say that. And, and, and we think that sometimes. We may not say it out loud, but we think it sometimes. It's not guaranteed, it's not more, prob- more probable. What Jesus did say is that if you believe, we would say have faith in Jesus, any outcome within is, is within the capacity and or capability of a sovereign God. Now, we can't argue with that. God is capable for sure. It is within his capacity for sure. The only question we should have is, is is it part of God's plan? So we bring our request to God. We ask him to do things. And it's not a question of if. And it's not a question of can you. It's a question of what's God's plan here. A similar uh, approach is, is an illustration. I'll, I'll read you John 14, 14. It says, you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Now, a lot of people read the beginning and the end and they say, if you ask for anything, I will do it. And they say, this is great. If I ask anything from God, he'll do it. And they ask and they ask and they ask and he doesn't and he doesn't and he doesn't and they conclude that God, something's wrong. Something's wrong. And they, they forget to read the words in the middle. In my name. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. That means that if you're already on board with me, if you're on the same page as I am, if you're following my goals and looking for the same things, then we're going to be working in, in, in consistency with one another. And when you ask for something, it's already on the way. So you ask for something in my name, you ask for something according to my will that I'm already doing, the answer will be yes. And so here we, we have to realize that the, the amount of faith I have is not a guarantee. It's, it's not a probability issue. The issue is something different. Let's look at number seven. We'll actually talk about that more in a minute. Number seven. The man's response illustrates both belief, because he had the faith. His actions validated the faith. He said, I do believe. Okay, the man's response illustrated both his belief and an acknowledgement that there was room for greater belief, or greater faith. In other words, growth. He acknowledged there's room for growth. I can do better. Uh, my faith isn't as strong as I'd like it to be. He, 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 he said I had faith, and that was true, but he said I, I could have more. He acknowledged that. And then number eight, this is really important. Jesus responded to the man's faith, but not his faith alone. He also responded to his honesty, to his sincerity, and to his desperation. But not those things alone. Yeah, there was a response to these things, but that wasn't the ultimate response. Okay, so finish this last sentence on the page there. In this situation, the best outcome for the boy, his father, the disciples, the teachers of the law, and Jesus was for the demon to be cast out. 
And most importantly, it was the best situation for Jesus. Okay, it was the best situation for the boy. That's pretty obvious. The father was going to grow in his faith and his son would have relief. That's pretty obvious. The disciples, they would, answer, they would ask questions. They would get answers. They would learn. They would grow. They would have more information they would need for future ministry. The teachers of the law, they would have one more encounter with Jesus, one more opportunity to believe, one more display of his power. But Jesus gained all these things. It was in his best interest to heal the boy. Now, the key to our thinking is this. This may not always be true. It may not always be true. Sometimes people die after we pray for them. Sometimes people are disabled after an accident, even though we prayed for them. Sometimes people don't forgive us, even though we prayed for forgiveness. Sometimes the bill is not met, even though I prayed for the finances. Sometimes I don't get the job that seemed like the best thing, even though I prayed and prayed and prayed for the job. Sometimes the answer is no, and it always comes back to this one thing. What answer is the best for Jesus? What answer is the best for God? The hard part is for us to say, God knows more than I do. God knows better than I do. God loves better than I do. God has better answers than I do. And I'm going to trust him that his answer is the correct answer. And I'm going to keep on serving him. And I'm going to keep on loving him. And I'm going to keep on trusting him. That's the hard part for us. So sometimes the healing is the best thing from God's perspective. Sometimes the check in the mail is the best thing from God's perspective. Sometimes the miracle, sometimes the forgiveness, sometimes the job is the best thing from God's perspective, and then we get it, and then we praise Him. What we have to also do is when we don't get it, praise Him. That's the key. That's where we have to move. That's the help me overcome my unbelief when it doesn't happen, and and, and to believe that even the suffering, you know, this boy had suffered a lifetime. He was young, but his whole lifetime, almost his whole lifetime, from childhood, he had been suffering. We don't know how old the boy is. The word boy could mean young adult in their culture. But he had been suffering for a long time, and what was the purpose of it? Why didn't God heal him sooner? Because God had a plan. Let's turn your page over and let's read number nine. When Jesus said this kind can only come out by prayer, Jesus was telling them they needed to involve God in the process. That's where they missed it. They tried to do it themselves, almost creating a competition between them and the teachers of the law. They forgot to involve God in the process. And then the word kind indicates a variety of angelic realm, prob probably rank and power. So we simply know that, that different demons require different levels of authority to cast them out. That's not really the point, but it was an answer to their question. Now, what does this do for us? What's the application? What, what, what do we need to gain from this? Well, it comes from three verses, 22, 24, and 29. You can read those as we talk. I think you can see the parallels here. Number one, we too, way too often, come to God with the wrong question and or the wrong attitude. We come to God with the wrong question. We come to God with the wrong attitude. So we sometimes say, if you can. We, we kind of say, if you can. And, and what do we mean by that? I don't think we really doubt the power of God. We might doubt the interest of God. 
We might doubt the love of God. We might doubt that he hears us all the time. But sometimes we say, if you can. Maybe we haven't grown enough to understand his sovereignty and his, his omniscience and his omnipotence and things like that. Sometimes we come with, if you can. Sometimes we come with, if you can, then you will. And since I know you can, then I believe you will. And that sets us up for failure because the I will doesn't always come through. Sometimes God says no. That's actually quite often God says no. We celebrate when he says yes. And, and we live through when he says no. Wouldn't it be great if we could get to the point where we celebrate the no? And just believe right up front that God said no for a reason. And I'm pretty sure I'm thankful that he said no because a yes would have been a lot worse. So no is a good thing. Sometimes we say, if you can, then you will. Sometimes we say, if you don't, then you either can't, which means you're not God, or you don't care, which means you're not a very good God. So our attitude can lead us down a wrong path, and subconsciously we can dwell on these things. We start with, if you can, then you will, and we move on to, if, because you didn't, then maybe you can't. And maybe you don't care. These are wrong attitudes. These are wrong questions. This is the wrong approach. Number two, the question or attitude we should come to God with is submission. Submission. I give in to you. I bow to you. I want it your way. I don't want it my way, even though I've thought through it and I have a great plan if you want to hear it. But I want it your way. I want to do it the way you have it planned. So we say things like, if it is your desire that, this would be great. If it's your desire that I have a healing, that would be great. If it's your desire that, that I financially have financial freedom, that would be great. If it's your desire that, that I get along with everybody, that would be great. If it's your desire that, that would be great. But B, if it's not your desire, then I'll still be great in that I'm accepting of this. If, if I miss out on something, then I'm okay with it. If, if, I don't, if I'm not given something, if I miss a promotion or I, I don't get the deal, I don't get the job, but my friend lets me down, if God's allowing something to happen that's not according to my desires, I'm going to grow in my faith. I'm going to get to the point where I say, okay, you're in control. You're in charge. Lead on. I'll follow. So see, whatever you choose to do, I'm saying this to God, whatever you choose to do, I choose to follow. I choose to trust and I choose to obey. That's the I believe statement. The man said, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. That's the I believe part. Whatever you choose to do, I choose to follow, trust and obey. That's, that's where we're going with this. But D, the help me overcome my unbelief, this, that's the D there. This is my goal. Help me to achieve it. Yeah, I, I believe. Yeah, I trust you. I follow you. I want to obey you. I believe all these things about you. I know you're sovereign. I know you're loving. I know you have the, the best interest in mind. I know your will is being worked out. I choose these things. I choose to follow, trust, and obey. But my goal is to obey more. Help me to achieve that. Help me to, to get there faster. Okay? So number three, that phrase, help me overcome my unbelief. This is a long-term, lifelong, spiritual goal. It's our spiritual goal. Take me there spiritually. 
grow me up in this process. It's a goal. It's going to take a lifetime. It's going to take a lifetime because when we finally get to heaven, we'll maybe be able to, to get where we need to be. What does this look like? What does this spiritual lifetime goal look like? Well, it looks like, A, help me get to a place of faith and acceptance faster. You know, the first time I went through something, it was at the very end that I was finally able to rest in God's arms. The second time, or the third time, I went through something equally traumatic, or or whatever the case may be. It was partway through when I was able to say, God, i got to give this to you, and I gave it to him. A while later, the third time, fourth time I went through it, this time I was able to start with, God, I'm giving this to you. And a few days later, I'm going to give it to you again, and I'm going to give it to you again. And then finally one day, perhaps you get to the point where things happen and you have already given it to God. The growth process. Help me get there faster. Help me get to the place of faith and acceptance faster. B, help me spend less time wasting away in stress and worry. Help me to give it up sooner. Help me to realize my my stress isn't helping, my worry is not helping, it's in your hands and I can trust you. Help me to get there faster. Help me to have less time wasted with these things. So over the course of time, I realize I am getting better at this. I'm spending less time. That's that spiritual goal. See, help me question God's love, his actions, and his, his motives and plans less and less. Help me get to the point where I'm, I'm not even asking the question anymore. God, did you hear me? God, do you care about me? God, do you, do you like to see children suffer? God, do you like to see the lights turned off? God, do you like to see me walking because my car won't run? God, I don't know what your plan is, but so far I'm not enjoying it. We're going to get there faster. We want that to be less and less. God, I don't know why my car broke down, but you have a plan, so I'm going to wait for your solution. God, I don't know why I can't pay the bill, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to be faithful with what I have. I'm going to obey you and and be faithful, and we'll see how it turns out. I'm going to question God less, and then D... Help me have confidence that God is with me no matter what. This is is all really the same thing. All four of these are really the same thing, just with a different label on them. My spiritual goal. And then number four, like casting out the demon, sometimes we cannot do it without God. Sometimes we cannot do it without God. My stubbornness isn't enough. My own faith isn't enough. My confidence isn't enough. My whatever isn't enough. Sometimes I literally am not going to get to the end of this in a good place if if I don't join God in the process. I'm literally not going to have an answer I can live with unless I join God in the process. Sometimes what I've accomplished in the past or what I've overcome in the past or what I've learned in the past isn't enough. I need to learn something new. I need to learn something more. I need to learn it afresh. And I need God in the process. So our next series, and I don't know how long it's going to go. I hope a really long time because I'm super excited about it. Our next series is titled, I Believe, Help My Unbelief. And we're going to try to identify areas where we do believe. We do have faith. We have grown. We can look back and say, God has, God has, matured me in this process. 
But we're also going to faithfully and honestly say to ourselves, but there's still room to grow. So we're going to bring up topics. Some we're good at, some we're not good at. And we're going to follow through with how I can do better and what the goal is, what the spiritual process will look like as it's taking place. That's the name of the series. And here's the tagline. God, I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. That's the statement the man made today. It's fitting. It's going to look like that every week. Every week. I believe this. Help me believe more. Help me respond better. Help me move on in this area. And we're going to look at a lot of different areas. And every week we're going to start the closing prayer together. I know this is weird. I know we don't do this. Guess what? We do it now. We're going to start for, for several, several weeks. You and I are going to start the closing prayer together. And I'm going to ask you to say this prayer, God, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief, or some version of it, and then I'm going to continue on to pray. So I'm going to ask you to do it out loud. I'm going to ask us to do it together in unison. We're going to start today. We're going to say, God, I believe, help me with my unbelief, and then I'm going to close this in prayer. So on three. One, two, three. God, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Father, we do believe. Our faith is in you. We have no one else to go to. We have no other strength that can lift us up. There is no other God to speak of. Therefore, all of our trust and faith is in you. You are all-powerful, almighty, all-knowing. You truly love us. You seek the best for us. Sometimes we don't know what the best is, and it doesn't look like we, what we had planned or what we hoped for. So we believe these things about you, but sometimes it's hard to see it working, and it's hard to make it come out in our lives. So Father, help us to trust you in all things. Get us to the place of faith faster. Get us to the place of confidence faster. Get us to a higher level of confidence, to a higher level of faith, so that we move forward in life seeking you and your pleasure and your will and following along to accomplish your goals. Father, be with us. Be with us through the entire series. Be with us week by week. Be with us today. Thank you for all those times where drama entered our lives and you showed yourself faithful. Because of your faithfulness in the past, we have confidence of your faithfulness in the future. And that's what we're counting on. So, Father, help us in every way to accomplish this goal. We believe. Help us with our unbelief. In your name I pray. Amen.